Hi there, my name is Jewel Brumley, and I'm your host for Talking the Plank, a podcast from Davis High School. Today, I have with me four teachers who we are going to follow for the first semester of Remote Learning 2.0. They are also the staff for Talking the Plank, and we'll be helping with interviewing students working on questions to keep this an interesting boots on the ground podcast about remote learning. Please introduce yourself and tell our listeners what you teach and a brief word why you got involved in this project. Well, I'm Pat Bowden. I teach world history and U.S. history to uh, juniors and sophomores, but not in that order. And uh, I got involved in this project because I enjoy podcasting and thinking and speaking about big picture ideas, which is kind of what we're dealing with here. Thank you. Next we have Patrick. Hi, I'm Patrick Wallahan. I am a I am a history teacher here at Davis. I teach IB seniors and I teach Gen Ed sophomores. I did this podcast because I was asked to, and I like to do things that make people happy. All right. Thank you, Patrick. Next we have Priscilla. Hello all, I am Priscilla Santos. I am privileged to teach English language arts, specifically Honors 9 English and Senior English at Davis High School. I am truly passionate about reading, writing, and literature. Um, I love to explore stories and um, different texts. I love discussing them with my students. I joined this podcast Um, because I was asked to, um, and also because I like to, I like to talk. I like good conversation. And so um, I'm excited to to be a part of this conversation. Um, We're going into the unknown, and so it's, it's going to be interesting. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Priscilla. Last but not least, we have... Mara Walden. Hey, I'm Mara, and I teach English 9 and English 12, higher level IB English 12. This year, I'm also on the Link Crew coordinating team, so that's the freshman transition team. And I wanted to be involved in this podcast because I believe that stories that matter should be told. And we don't get to see so many of the things that make Davis awesome when we are doing remote learning. When we're in face-to-face learning, we get to see lots of students, not just our own. We get to see lots of colleagues, not just the ones in our department. And I feel like our students are missing out on that. And this Talk the Plank is a way to get behind the scenes and what everyone's going through and maintain a sense of connection with the Davis family, not just the kids in first, third, or fifth right now. That's great. Here's the first question, and just any one of the four of you could answer. When did you first think that this year, the fall, was going to be remote learning? At what point? Pat? Pat. I, I, knew, I, I knew it was going to be remote learning pretty well right off the bat. Just when we were watching the, the COVID numbers continue to climb and continue to, to keep soaring, and, and especially just kind of within our, our community, watching the, the, the community sort of how they treated and took the, the seriousness of, of the pandemic moving on it was kind of like a right then and there yep we're gonna we're gonna be online and as much hope as we have for it I just didn't I didn't see it us going into our classroom that's so interesting Patrick because I was I was the person who was like nope we're gonna go back we're gonna go back in September 
and yeah, we might not, and so maybe I have this backup plan, but no, I'm going to see my students, I'm going to meet them, I am, I am, I am, and then no, I'm not. It was the beginning of August for me, when I was like, okay, this is real, this is really real, and I need to figure out how to do it. So that's really funny, because my story of when I realized this was a moment of despair, because I would eat lunch with uh, Mrs. Walden and other teachers in the staff room, and then... I have the brain of a reptile, so basically it's like I just live in this cage and like a, a cricket comes in front of me. I'm like, oh, I guess it's time to eat. And I don't think about, like, maybe I should go get a cricket. Like, things just happen to me. And I'm in there, and I remember, like, every day, the other teachers were like, oh, this COVID thing is happening. And I'd be like, is it time to panic now? Is it time to panic? And, like, Mara would always talk to me, like, no, you know, it's okay. You know, we can only control what we can control. Giving me all these great life lessons. And then, you know, other teachers, like, you know, uh, Zeke Fife or Joe Frazier would be like, no, the world's going to end and it's going to end tomorrow. And like, I was just so terrified. And then, so when school closed on, I think it was like the 13th of March, I was pretty much like, this is never going back. So Ryan had come on the intercom and been like, okay, um, you know, we're closing school. We're going to come back on Monday, that kind of thing. He was reading that email. I immediately went to my computer and found the scene from Titanic when the band is playing and the ship's going down. The kids were panicking. People were coming through. I was trying to get my snake out from the, my classroom. This kid named Victor was screaming. So March 13th, the feeling of death set in for me. Um, like Mara, I was very optimistic. I was like, we're going back, at least in the fall. Maybe once like people start getting sick, like cold season, they might pull us back. But I knew, like I just knew, we're going to start there. I'm going to meet my students. <clears throat> I was even like, do what you got to do. Bring in the plexiglass <laughs> to separate the kids. Um, so I, I was very um, disappointed when we found out that we weren't going to get to go meet the kids. And um, like Pat, Patrick Malahan, um, I remember very vividly March 13th, Friday the 13th, um, and I I don't know why it feels like this, but I feel like I had never had such an engaged class right before we found out we weren't coming back, so I was like, great, this is great. All right, thank you. So as I was watching the numbers like Pat about and I was looking at June numbers and I have numbers of daily cases in Yakima County all the way from May 8th every day until today still and so I know all the trends and I thought once they started rising I thought there's no way we're gonna go back into school uh, even though I really really want it and now I have this great office where I can see out in the courtyard and I could see it filled with kids and nothing but here we are what's funny about that is even even before that 13th because they're you know they were saying we're gonna go to school on Monday and then we're gonna be gone for the rest of it and then he came on the intercom and said JK we're actually leaving today don't come back I think it was a day or two before that I even started moving stuff out of my classroom being like this is going to be real you know like we're doing this and and even even today you know we're, we're asking the question when do we think we'll go back I'm sitting here being like not until there's a vaccine you know and and maybe 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 the district at some point may be like alright we're going to we're going to attempt to come back and bow to political and community pressures because so many people want us to be open, right? And maybe they will. And then I see if that happens, people getting sick and us going back home until there's a vaccine. 
and it's not the hopeful one, but it's it's just kind of it seems pragmatic at the least. <laughs> yeah. Never ask me to be pragmatic. <laughs> I'm I'm holding on for January, and I will wear my mask, and I will wash my hands with every day. Well, of course, I wash them every day, every hour upon the hour. Like so, I think as this podcast continues, Patrick and I will probably be the opposite ends of the standard bell curve. <laughs> Patrick's like, nope. I'm like, yes, January. We're coming back in January. <laughs> yeah, for me, I I kind of am like Mara, and uh, like I'll do everything I'm required to do, but I kind of have a very Ivan Drago mindset with this disease now. Now that I've got my panicking out, now it's if I die, I die. So I'm ready to have people in my life, even if it kills me. Priscilla. I'm with um, Mr. Malahan and Ms. Walden. I will do what I need to do to get back into the classroom. I look at, and I'm not, I'm not one to have my face in the news. I'm just not. Um, but I, I see other countries going back to public school, and I'm like, it, it's going to happen. We'll be there. I'm, I'm with Mara. I'm January. The end of January 2021, I will be face-to-face with my students, and it will be great. To be fair, I do think they might have handled it differently. But at this point, I feel bad for Pat, because now we're all like, yeah, Mr. Bowden's are wrong. <laughs> so I'm like, the Hufflepuff in me is like, oh, dang. I'm sorry, Pat. <laughs> I will gladly eat crow. Is that that an appropriate term? I don't know. I will gladly acquiesce to your foresight, Patrick, in January when we're not allowed back. And next year we do it all again. I'm like, well, Alvin was right. You know, I will will be readily to admit that. But I'm going to hold on to hope. All right. So we're all hoping as things get better that... Things can get a little bit back more to normal. We are moving a little forward in Yakima County and our phases. So, you know, things are looking up that way, but we're just not at the point yet where where we're back in action. So, I have a question I'm for push you. Back against that, Jewel. We are very much in action. <laughs> there is more action now in this classroom and in my brain than there has been in 15 years because I've taught English nine since 2001. And so for many years, it's just been, oh, yep, this is how we do this. This is how we do it. And now it's like, I have to completely rethink things, which is a little frustrating, but it's also exciting. I have, you know, when I, there are breakthroughs now for me. And I was like, I haven't had that in a long time. So we might not be able to walk in the courtyard with our students, but there is a whole lot of engagement and a whole lot of learning, uh, at least for me right now. That is true. So let me ask you a question because you all teach different levels of students. Which part of remote learning do you think the contrasting students will do better in? Freshmen who are just coming in, high level seniors, somewhere in the middle. Which level do you think is is working the best right now in remote learning after week one of official classes? The half week last week was just an introduction. Because of my schedule right now, I have freshmen, first period, and higher level IB seniors, fifth period. And not only are these freshmen in first period freshmen, but it's also my English language learner team teaching class. So of the 29 students in there, 
17 of them don't speak conversational English. So we've got freshmen who don't know each other and freshmen through juniors who are struggling just to communicate. So that would be a challenge in face-to-face learning and it is multiplied by the challenges created in technology. I will say this though, they are showing up and they are trying to figure it out. And we are using Google Translate when Ms. Churchwell can't be in the room. My higher level seniors are much more engaged, but I don't think that's necessarily because they're seniors. I think it's because they got to do some high school distance learning in the fall. And because they're in IB, I'm sorry, when we were doing it in the spring, and because they are IB, the spring looked different for them than it did for regular level students who weren't held to the accountability of staying engaged. And with this particular group, a lot of them know each other. So that relational disconnect isn't there because they are friends already. And so when I ask them to talk, it's not as uh, intimidating as it is for a room full of ninth graders who have never met each other. Pat? I think that idea of that community is a huge element because like, I, have, I have the freshman advisory and they, they seem to be far more gung-ho to at least try than, than my sophomores are. And part of it is, you know, sophomores are like like seventh graders in middle school. They're that that middle stepchild of of the school, you know, and so they're they they're a little disenfranchised in their own right. But having that community sense where they already know each other plays a huge role, I think, in the engagement. Because with my with my sophomores I find far less engagement and they're not filled with the nerves of being new and in this scary place. Like it's nerve wracking to go to high school as a freshman in the first place, let alone to do it like this. And so that level of kind of nerves and panic almost presses a student to jump in and try and make to, to, to deal with the risks of doing something new because they already expected to do that. It's already part of the the paradigm. Um, But with those sophomores, they don't have that sense of community. They don't all know each other all the way yet. They're, it's harder to build those relationships under these conditions. It's harder to make those connections. And uh, it, I'm, I'm finding it harder to get those that engagement rolling because there's there's not a sense of risk almost or, or potential payoff or the return on investment of the risk because they're just sitting at home in their bubbles and 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 not being had that bubble pushed on by the outside forces of being in an, an educational community like we normally experience in a, in a school environment. Um, and I'm just going <clears> to <throat> bounce right off of that. Um, like Mara, I'm working with uh, two classes of freshmen and one of seniors, and I'm noticing that the freshmen, um, they're emailing me. They're they're trying to to get this and they're trying to do their work and and they're doing their assignments but once we come together in that google meet there is that lack of community and you know i feel like i am and they're they're great you know for the most part they're keeping their cameras on and they're they they look engaged um and they'll use the chat but there is that that missing element of community with the seniors, you know, they're older, it's their last year. I, what's really cool is I had um, a few of my seniors as freshmen, so I have those relationships. Um, and you do feel that sense of community with the seniors. However, 
um, they're not as apt to get their work in during the week. They're kind of just waiting for us to come together in the in the Google Me. And so it's it is it is contrasting, and they are um, they each have their own strengths in this online environment. So right, that's great. Yes, do you have another? Yeah, I wanted to throw it too. I think one of the one of the elements and the challenges that I think a lot of times we talk discuss about that difference between like the higher level IB honors kids and, and the gen ed kids. And a lot of times I find it to be that uh, element. It's not like there's this myth of it being like about intelligence. Oh, you're one of the smarter kids. And, and I find that's not really the case. There's usually a, a, an intrinsic motivation, this desire to push forward and succeed and learn, right? This intrinsic desire for learning that exists in some places versus or in some kids versus others and that's one that translates into this new digital environment of taking that risk and trying that new thing where i think you have those quote-unquote higher level kids they're like well i'm just going to try it because it matters to me that i try and learn something new and do something interesting and that doesn't exist in everybody and i think hey but wait because we have kids in my my house um, we have the that, that's one of those kind of differences, and I hope kids hearing that would would take that into heart to adjust the mind frame, I guess. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's really interesting because, I mean, uh, I've, I've had IB seniors HL for three years, and what I found that's really interesting about the culture of IB is a lot of these kids that are put into IB are, they have a, oftentimes I see a mindset of I need to have the right answer. And I'm not going to talk unless I know it's the right answer. So oftentimes I have to try very hard to create a culture of what you're talking about, uh, Pat Bowden, to get them to get to that point where I'm just going to try. Because so many of these kids, they're also looking at each other and they have these preconceived notions of who the smart kids are. And they don't want to sound wrong or sound dumb. So then they're like, I, I, it's better to be, well, what's the quote? Like, it's better to be silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt, something like that. So a lot of the kids have that mentality. And um, I found in Gen Ed, the Gen Ed kids are more like, screw it, I'm gonna answer it. And in IB, they're more like, I need to have the right answer. And so one of the things I really work on with them is like, learning is more about the process than the ends. So, and then as far as like, which kids are more, are doing better or worse, I mean, I have a similar experience with with uh, Mrs. Walden about the uh, you know the senior IB students that are engaged and things like that, and the freshmen being willing to try things. I also have sophomores, but I hate to be the guy that's like I don't seek grades. But I, it's kind of a spectrum because in some classes, even in the, the sophomore class, I have a couple kids. They want to answer every question and they're very engaged. Um, so I guess it kind of depends on the kid a little bit too. It's on me as the instructor to try and create not only academic goals but like community goals like I was asking my sophomores because they were kind of quiet like what would you like to see class look like and like how would you like us to communicate and because I started class and like no one had their camera on so we had this conversation about what is communication and Mrs. Brumley had given me a graph on how much of communication is spoken versus uh, tone and body language and talking about that by the end of class eight kids had their camera on I mean that's not even half but they're already kind of starting to try new things and come out of that shell and do what Mr. Bowden was saying. So I think it's possible for all students. All right, thank you. So the next question is, on a scale of one to 10, 
What would your stress level be this year going into this week of school compared to the beginning of school last year? What was your stress level on a scale of one to 10 last year compared to this year? My stress exists on multiple levels. (laughs) So using a one to 10 scale, I think I need more variables than that to describe the stress of going back to work in this particular uh, context. Um, Normally back to school for me is filled with stress about freshman orientation and be tra- I mean I'm part of the team that trains our link crew leaders and then I'm part of the team that facilitates freshman orientation we have 750 freshmen that's a lot of people on campus so usually in August I'm having dreams about stuff going wrong at uh, freshman orientation but I've done that so many times I I know I know what's gonna go wrong and so the stress level would probably be a four in a normal year because I can anticipate so many of the things that could go wrong. Um, my stress level was probably up at an eight. I try to I try to take care of myself and stay grounded with my family and with my faith. And so, I mean, I've got I've got some tools in the toolbox to manage stress. But the problem with this context for me is that I don't know what could go wrong. There's so much that could go wrong on my end and on the student's end. Um, And not only do I not know that it could go wrong, I also don't know how to fix the thing I don't know is gonna happen. So that that increases my stress level. And yeah, it's it's, it's getting lower. I'm at a seven after a week, maybe 7.5, but you know, it's getting better. (sighs) Yeah, I think for me, what like a, a normal school year starting, I sit around somewhere between a, a three and a five and I'm still a relatively new teacher this is my fifth year ever so and and I've jumped schools once and subjects you know from English and so like there, there's still a lot of those learning curves that I'm going through so and for me it, it is definitely higher though but I, I wouldn't put it when, when we first started trying to come back and we were having all these meetings with a bajillion emails a day and trying to figure out how to collaborate when you don't actually sit with anybody and it's hard to have these conversations with 11d 40 people on a, on a on a meet you know trying to talk and uh it was one of those moments where i, I did it, it was at a, a solid 11 for a while but it was it was impressive how quickly it came down to now you know um as i got a handle on the technology <laughs> And as I reminded myself, like, like we were, Mara was talking about before, the control what you can and just literally checking out is something I have power over? No. Okay, then, then move on. You know, it, and don't worry about it because there's nothing I can do about that. Um, and, and I've just treated it with the attitude of you're going to mess up and it's okay. And and taking that perspective has been huge because – and that's been my educational career so far, because like when I started as a teacher, I walked in with no cert, with no experience. I interviewed, wearing a Star Trek t-shirt, was offered a job, and, and was on a conditional, a rushed conditional certificate like four days later in a classroom with no idea what I was doing. <laughs> you know? And it was, it was such a wild experience that to me, that's kind of just what teaching is, is like walking into like, okay, let's give it a shot. <laughs> and so in, in my head, this isn't too much different than that. And I think I have a relatively unique experience in how I became a teacher. But um, 
uh, it went from 11 to a 6 pretty quickly as I just sort of came to terms with the fact that we're we're all screwing up and trying and and like and that's just how this that's just how this is going to function for a long time and that's okay and as long as us and the students and I, I show my students all the time too is I haven't tried this yet so we're going to see if it works oh that didn't work well let me think real quick let's try this out and that's just setting that up as kind of the norm for myself and kids I think has helped me personally manage that stress level of just being okay with the fact that this isn't going to be beautiful um, like Pat and Mara my stress probably like the week before and the week of during the first week of school, my stress levels were pretty high for me. Uh, like Mara, I have tools in my toolbox that help me, um, like with my faith and, and um, those that I love that help keep me, uh, help keep my stress levels low. But they were high. They were probably about a seven or an eight uh, that first week, um, maybe even like a nine the night before school started. But like Pat, I was really impressed on how, how quickly the stress levels dropped, just getting into what we know. And what I know is what I teach. And and once I start talking about the literature, I mean, I, I just, it makes my heart happy. And so um, now I'm about, you know, and it varies like, like normal, like I'm probably between like a three and and sometimes you know when I yeah it just varies but it, it has come way down just getting into what we know and accepting the fact that we are going to learn and grow and adapt um so okay, okay so I like that you use the word adapt because my number is 80 million that's how long crocodiles have been around and the thing about crocodiles is they're very good at what they do they're good in their environment put a crocodile in like a tundra it's gonna die so I'm really good at like being in front of people talking. I know the content, um, but I can do simple things. Crocodiles can do some things pretty well. What's a screencastify? Um, Ed Puzzle, a Padlet. So I'm just like, this is not, this is not the swamp, so to speak. Where's the swamp? So I'm, I'm trying to, to to manage that. Uh, but the good news is is that like that. Oh, I guess it's not being recorded. But children. There are rabbis, they're all Jewish, and one of them talks about how um, stress, discomfort, is a stimulus for growth. So, I mean, the, the cool thing about crocodiles is they're actually really intelligent animals, and they can learn pretty well, um, but they're not going to do it on their own. They kind of have to be prompted into it. So kind of like if, if I'm like this 80 million you know, years of evolution crocodile, I don't really want to do this technology stuff, but gosh, the water's getting a little cold. I better move to this other part of the swamp. I better figure out what this screencastify is. Better figure out what the Padlet is. God, Google Docs. So I'm like doing that, and I think I'm actually doing okay with it. I did this cool thing today where I actually filmed my lesson standing up from the podium, and you know, I'm, 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 it was actually kind of cool. It felt like a very scaled down version of my regular class. Um, just the difference between standing and sitting and stuff like that. So trying new things, because I mean, I, I own a snake, and what he'll do, I mean, he regulates his own body temperature. He knows what side of the tank is cool and which is hot, and he'll move when he needs to move. So I'm kind of regulating, okay, this technology is kind of working, I can kind of make that. If I, if I need to move a little bit more to the hot side of the tank, I'll do it. I'm probably not gonna do it on my own. If, if, if it was up to me, I'd be the, if I die, I die. I'm in my classroom, and I, 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 I let the disease kill. But that's my answer, sorry. Can I throw a different animal metaphor? Because I like to think of it as, as the coyote. Like, coyotes, coyotes have been on this continent for 100,000 years, right? Since the, since ice ages. And of all the megafauna 
that have survived. The coyote is the most wily, hence the name, of our beloved cartoon friend, uh, animal. They're omnivores. They can live and move in packs. They can live and move as individuals. They can have very few uh, pups, depending on populations, or a ton of pups, depending on populations. They're so adaptable. And when wolves, mega wolves all died out, you know what didn't? Coyotes. And even in the last 150, 200 years, as mankind put together a remarkable and extensive effort to eradicate coyotes, you know what they couldn't get rid of? Coyotes. In fact, coyote populations remained almost steady through the entire attempt to eradicate them because they can just adapt. And even today, right now, tonight, when any, all of us go to sleep, we will be at minimum three miles away from a coyote, no matter where you are in the country, no matter where you are. They're such astonishing creatures, and that that's how I feel. I'm like walking, I'm like, okay, well, I, I'll just figure out what I gotta do. I see that thing happen, and I look forward to that way. I guess I'll only have one kid this year. I'm done having kids, by the way. But, you know, and oh, there's only berries to eat? Well, I'll live off of that for a while until I run across a fish that fell on a bank somewhere, you know? And, and so I, I, I'm a coyote. I try to be a coyote. I try to embody coyote in all of his grandeur. <laughs> I, I respect that's- that. Right. I'm a freaking reptile. I'm going to die. <laughs> so I hope that Priscilla and I are not expected to come up with some sort of animal metaphor on the fly, because I yeah, got nothing. Your literature teachers are telling me you don't have metaphors just hanging oh, around. I have metaphors. I have metaphors aplenty. But the, what animal are you? I'm like, I'm a, I'm a platypus. <laughs> I don't know. I got nothing. Like I said, I like to see myself as a lion, just brave and ready to take on the challenge, or maybe an owl with wisdom and my face and books, but I'm probably the weirdest, most, like, rare creature there is. I am the Ogopogo. <laughs> I am the Ogopogo, the monster from the Okanagan Lake in Canada. <laughs> All right, so moving on from the animals, although I do like the coyotes because in the Yakima um, legends, that's Spelei, and they are very smart, and they are kind of the trickster. And from my tribe in Alaska, that's the raven, and that's my clan. And so they are really smart, but they're also a trickster. They like to play pranks on people. So, but, Two favorite animals in the entire world, the raven and the coyote. There you go. All right. So let's let's move on to the next question. What is the most exciting thing about remote learning so far? And what is the most frustrating thing that we've all had to deal with in remote learning so far? So for me, the most exciting thing is that the, the, the standard system, you know, of what education is supposed to be has been basically thrown out the window because the, the models that we have come to just rely upon and take for granted and to a point almost be kind of like abused in some regards that, that you know you talk to so many people like oh education is broken and this or that and we're like well kind of but not really and at this point since all of what oh no he froze nominal opportunity to be creative and inventive and think okay what's the best way like what's the really best way get it you know and so having in in my in my view this is almost kind of a a wiping clean of the slate of education where we can go to the ground and pick up the stuff that worked put it back on the table and then put new stuff down on it and and to me that's what's been so so exciting is 
since no one knows what they're doing or knows what to do, we all can try out stuff and see what works and experiment. And then to answer the other part of the question, what's the worst part so far is just the the difficulty of connection um, because so much of that learning, like, you know, we, we evolved from, you know, a hundred thousand years to be face to face with people and learning happens best with a person in front of you sharing that information and learning i mean that's why there's so many tales of you know grandpa teaching grandson and grandma teaching grandson and whatever it is and it's because that's that's actually how we evolved to learn and it brings in meaning and purpose and satisfaction to our experience and to not have that is um kind of the largest you know stake in the heart of this experience is uh and and it's not just the educational value of being face to face which is almost hard to describe and how important it is but just the the meaning and purpose of being with a person brings to your your life as as a as another human is is the most frustrating and challenging elements of, of this distance learning experience. Uh, I, I, I'm glad you used the term wiping clean because I already was getting my metaphor ready. And it's about 65 million years ago, I'm a dinosaur. And I mean that like metaphorically, like my teaching methods are dinosaurian. Like I'm very like discussion lecture oriented. And I'm like looking up in the sky and I'm watching a meteorite come through. This is called COVID. And it's going to wipe clean my style of teaching forever. So. This, I am now this crocodile, this dinosaur put into ice. And it's like, I, I'm, I'm not a mammal, I'm not ready for this. And everybody else is like, oh yeah, breakout groups. Oh yeah, we don't need, like, cut out the lecture, make it go away. And I'm like, dang, I was a pretty good dinosaur. And so now I'm like, to be honest, I mean, I'm, I agree with you. I can kind of see the writing on the wall. I can see that meteorite coming to the Gulf of Mexico that when we come back, I think there's going to be this onus to let's keep the technology, let's keep these things, let's continue to do it. And, and I am, I need to calm myself down now, but I'm like, well, I was pretty good at what I did. I don't know if I will be as effective in this new way, but I'll, I'll be a good soldier. I'll do what you want. But I also feel like it's over. So that is the most scary thing for me. It's only just begun. No. <laughs> um, the most frustrating thing. Um, like you guys are saying, is, is not being um, face-to-face with our students or even face-to-face with our colleagues, um, being around people. Um, and so that's the most frustrating part is not having those face-to-face connections. Um, I think the most exciting part, and it's kind of part of that frustration, is we don't see our kids every day anymore. And so each day I'm like, oh, who do I get to see today? Um, who do I get to talk to today? And um, and I think also just learning new ways. You know, maybe this, like maybe like Pat Malahan said, uh, this way may work better for some students. And so it is good to to think about that. And so it is good that we're learning these ways. Um, that's what I got. For me, one of the most exciting things about this particular process is um, how much it has proven the strength of the Davis staff. Um, I taught here for eight years before I went home for a couple years, and then this is my second year back. And the quality of the relationships on the staff is makes it so that it's okay to fail and it's okay to struggle. And um, I would hate to be in a professional context where I had to fake it 
where I had to sit in a staff meeting and smile and nod on a Google Meet. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what to do when on the inside I'm panicking. And so I'm so thankful for the, the members of my department. And, and I've had the opportunity to meet people on a staff. I've, I've known their face and I've known their name, but I've never put them together. And now on a Google Meet, it just says their name. I'm like, oh, that's Ann Michael Turner. Oh, okay. And I get to work with Chrissy Churchwell, who, I mean, I've known her forever, but I've never had to work for her. Man, she's incredible at building relationships with kids and holding them to high standards. I'm like, dude, I need to learn from you. And I never would have had that opportunity outside of this context. And so, and granted, I'm a silver lining girl. So that's definitely the silver lining. Uh, the frustrating part for me is that in face-to-face, in-class learning, there is so much that you can get out of someone by just being in their space. And like the, the phenomenon I'm dealing with right now is people won't turn their camera on. I ask, I prod, I haven't threatened, but I'm attempting to encourage in all the positive ways I can because I want it to be their choice. But when they come to class and they don't turn their camera on, it'd be like walking in with a blanket over their head. They're just going to sit there with a blanket over their head. I'm like, no, that would not happen, right? Like, we would not. That would not be okay. If that if that happened, we would go in the hall. We would have a one-on-one conversation because something's going on. But, I, and I don't know how to shift that norm. I think that's what's frustrating for me is that in a face-to-face classroom, I can set the norms. I can call people to that higher standard. And that is taken away in a lot of respects because I, li- I am not in the room and sometimes neither are their parents. And so how do you get someone to click that button and put their face on? I don't know. I never thought I would miss the toxic clouds of cologne and perfume barely covering body odor. From- <laughs> barely covering. <laughs> yeah. yeah, here I am thinking, man, It'd be nice to get choked to death by someone's air right now. (laughs) I can't wait to have freshmen right after they get out of PE. (laughs) All right. One last one-liner. What would you say, what would you want students and or parents to know about you and your class going into this school year, going into this quarter? Just a one-liner. We're going to do stuff and we're going to mess up and it's going to be fun. We're going to make it good. Whatever that looks like. That's my motto for the year, man. Make it good, 2020. We are all experiencing this together. We are growing together, and it's going to be great. It's Shark Week. No, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I should go with Jurassic Park. Life will find a way. All right. Well, thank you. Great job for navigating the first week of school. Join us next week as we'll talk to freshmen and seniors about their experiences in the fall semester of remote learning. Just what is this like from the student point of view? See you next time on Talking the Plank.